This is episode 5-4 of Free as in Freedom. Greetings, loyal listeners. Before Karen and I get to the content for this episode, I have a couple of announcements that I'm here making solo to you. Rather strange to talk into this microphone all by myself, but uh, Karen is on her flight back from LinuxConf Australia, uh, which in just a few minutes, you're going to hear some interview footage or uh, audio from. But before we get to that, I want to remind folks about one thing and announce something else. Uh, The first thing, and I think the most urgent and important, is that Conservancy will be present at the uh, Free and Open Source Software Developers European Meeting, which is better known as FOSDEM. And we're actually hosting a Conservancy event on the Friday evening, which is Friday, January 30th of this year, and so in just a few days. And if you haven't signed up already for the event and you're going to be in Brussels for FOSDEM on that Friday evening before FOSDEM begins, we'd really encourage you to come out. Uh, it's uh, open at no charge to anyone who's an annual supporter of the Software Freedom Conservancy, which is where Karen and I work. Uh, so if you want to become a supporter, you can go to sfconservancy.org supporter. And when you sign up, it'll actually ask you if you want to go to that dinner on Friday, January 30th. And if you do, you just check yes and you'll be registered. If not, uh, if you just want to attend the event and you don't really have the funds to become an annual supporter, which we totally understand, you can go to the page at uh, sfconservancy.org slash supporter slash event.html, which is the direct page for the FOSDEM event. And if you go there, uh, you can uh, pre- sign up ahead of time for just $40 US uh, using PayPal, which includes using a credit card and so forth. And my apologies uh, in advance to those of you that hate PayPal. Uh, at some point, Karen and I should do a show about how difficult it is to set up payment processors for nonprofits, uh, which we'll eventually do. But before I get too off topic, I just want to encourage people to go to the event. We really uh, are hoping to see as many people in Brussels as we can. Both Karen and I will be in attendance at the uh FOSDEM uh, event uh, that we're hosting for Conservancy on Friday, January 30th. So please visit sfconservancy.org, Conservancy's website, and you'll find all the information there. And you can go to the direct URL, as I mentioned before, if you want to go right there. And of course, all these URLs will be in the show notes as usual, and you can look them up there in the RSS feed or on the faif.us website if you want to check in. So that's the first announcement. The second one is uh, that we're still raising funds uh, separately to send Dan Lynch, our intrepid producer, to a conference where he can record some interviews uh, for us and otherwise just uh, just uh, as a reward for his uh, hard work uh, doing the producing of this show for so many years as a volunteer. Uh, we're about halfway to our goal. Uh, so our goal is 2,500 US, uh, which we think will cover pretty much travel to any conference uh, that uh, that he can choose 
choose from the uh, rather full uh, open source and free software conference schedule each year. And, uh, and we're, we're, we're just over halfway there. So I hope folks will, uh, get, at least as I record this, so I hope folks will visit FAIF.us and, uh, and donate to that campaign to send Dan. So again, if you're going to FOSDEM, uh, we really appreciate you joining us on January 30th. It's only, uh, it's only $40, uh, US, uh, uh, that you can sign up in advance. Or if you're already a supporter or wanted to become a supporter anyway, you can become a supporter and, uh, the, the cost of the dinner is in, included in your, in your supporter dues. And so we hope you'll do it and we hope to see you there. And, uh, if, if not, if you're not going to Brussels, uh, in a few weeks or in a few days, I guess at this point, when you hear this, uh, then we hope you'll give, uh, at FAIF.us to, uh, towards the campaign to send Dan to a conference. And, uh, with that, I'll turn it over to our main episode. Hi, I'm Karen Sandler. And I'm Bradley Kuhn. This is Free as in Freedom. So we don't have a, another segment. We're going to get right into our content. We are. It's a, a, an unusual and exciting episode. <laughs> We're not going to spend 15 minutes talking about what the content is without telling the listeners but what it is. But don't you think we should talk about what the content is before we have the content? We are live on site. Except it's not live. <laughs> well, we're live. <laughs> we are recording on location. On location in New Zealand, uh, we are here for um, we're in Auckland for uh, LinuxConf Australia, which is a great conference. Uh, I gave my talk this morning. Bradley's giving his talk later. Um, Wait, what time is my talk? Do we have to go now? Your talk is at four thirty. Okay. I don't in know this what time, time it is now. In this time <laughs> zone, I don't know. Understand your crazy time traveling things, but um, well, we are time travel. We're across the international dateline. Bradley right is now. fascinated by the whole date, you know, international dateline thing. He keeps saying that uh, that he's living in the future. We are because it is, but we have a guest here with us in the future, which we will do. be the past later. Hi, Bradley. Hi, Karen. We welcome Carol Smith from the Google Summer of Code program. Yay! Hi! Here to tell us about, and in the theme of our podcast, she's going to tell us about various policy decisions that they've made over the years in GSOC to do what's best for open source and free software, because there's a lot of decisions to be made in a big program like that. And I would point out that uh, Carol was a, was one of the keynoters this morning, so it's even more it's exciting. It's on the heels of my keynote. I, and yes. and they, I think the LCA folks were recording all those. So if you want, right. actually, what listeners may want to do is you may want to pause right now and go online, and you can likely find Carol's keynote. So you could watch Carol's keynote, which would be a wonderful introduction to what we're going to talk about here. So you might, if you if you aren't familiar with GSOC already, that might be a good idea to do that yeah, now. Yeah, that's a great yeah, idea. Because because that talk will give the listeners all of the information generally about the program, and this this podcast can be about the specifics about policy. Okay. However, if you know already what GSOC is, the keynote is still interesting because it has some stats, but you can continue to listen. So, Carol, um, do you want to do you want us to so do we want to go through various different things in the program and talk about where the where the policy issues come up? Do yeah, I think that's a, a I think that's so. A great so idea. the first thing you do is, as of course, our listeners will know that. The students are paid 
for their work. They the are. Program. They are. They're paid uh, a total of 5500 US dollars if they successfully complete the whole program. And uh, $500 of that is paid to them upon acceptance into the program. Mm -hmm. And then an additional uh, $2,500, $2,200, <laughs> sorry, $2,500, it changed last year. Uh, $2,500 is paid to them at, if they pass their midterm evaluation. And then an additional $2,700 is paid to them if they pass their final evaluation. But Carol, <laughs> doesn't paying people to work on free and open source <laughs> software in the community, isn't that going to discourage volunteer work? I don't think that it doesn't. In fact, I think it actually uh, works in the reverse in a lot of ways. Um, one of the things that makes a student a really great candidate for Google Summer of Code is someone who has already started volunteering and contributing to the organization that they apply to. And, um, and it could have just been even mere weeks before they apply for the program, but uh, the, we find that the best student applicants are ones who already have at least some familiarity with the organization that they're applying to um, through having made a first patch or making some sort of small contribution to begin with. So that, that in and of itself uh, often gets a lot of just uh, small bugs out of the way for these organizations, even just through that. Um, and another thing is that uh, GSOC isn't just about participating over the term of the program. Um, we really hope that the students who participate in Summer of Code are actually becoming long-term contributors after the program ends. And finally, I think that giving the students a stipend for participating in the program is, is a good way to let them focus on that development work for the time that they're participating. It's, uh, it means they don't have to worry about trying to get another internship to pay their bills. Yeah, I was being a little facetious with the question. <laughs> I, I can chime in and say that that, that uh, that certainly, from my experience in GNOME, the GSOC is like a huge injection of life into the project. It's really cool, and we've had students stick around in, in GNOME um, quite impressively. Uh, we've had board members and you know all kinds of people of significance in the GNOME project came to us through Summer of Code. Carol, how did you decide uh, how much to pay students and how how many segments? Because you mentioned the three segments where they get paid, like where those should be and how they do. And what? And I understand that in GSOC, because I was a mentor as well, that students don't get paid if they fail at, at any point in their two evaluations. So, so walk us through how you made all those policy decisions and how you, how you tweaked them over the years to get them just right. Um, so one of the big changes we made last year was we actually raised this, this stipend, as I said, from 5000 to 5500 US dollars. And the reason we made that particular decision is that we had been paying the students $5,000 for the past few years. And while we thought that that was an appropriate amount of money for the time when the students were participating, we found that uh, we needed to raise it in order to keep up, uh, to keep this uh, program competitive with other internships and other opportunities that students might have in the field. Um, and it, the pro I think it actually started uh, at an even lower number before I was running the program. Um, but this is basically an amount that we found that helps uh, keep the program competitive for students who are participating um, in lots of different countries and have lots of different financial circumstances. And then uh, how we decided to uh, pay the students in increments is that um, we felt like we wanted to give the student a recognition for having, for simply having been accepted into the program. We think that that's an important starting point, and they're paid that money after the community bonding period ends, um, which means basically they uh, they aren't expected to have delivered any code yet. But we still want them to have um, have a financial recognition that they that they they were accepted into the program. 
and then we pay them a chunk after they've passed their midterm evaluation and a chunk after they paid their final evaluation. And over time, we found that really having these two, two points, these two milestones within the program is really the amount that we needed in order to give students an opportunity to progress on the project over Again, this is a program that happens over three months, and so they have enough time to progress steadily week after week, uh, month after month, and, and also gives the organizations a chance at the midterm to say, we don't quite think that this student is actually on track to complete this project. Um, and so they have a sort of mid midpoint milestone when they can say, uh, student's not, not going to be able to complete this project for whatever reason. Uh, personally or professionally and then again uh, a final evaluation which really is actually more of a did the student actually f complete the project that they proposed at the beginning and that those those two two points are really what we needed most um, for the uh, uh, for the administration of the program and for to make the organizations feel like they really had a chance to um, still uh, look at the students progress over time does Google get involved with deciding whether a student passes or fails no, we do not. Uh, we basically leave the uh, decision entirely to the mentoring organization. Uh, we have been asked in a couple circumstances to sort of weigh in on individual circumstances that were kind of on, on a, a fuzzy dividing line. For example, a student had a, had a very personal issue um, and so they want, the organization wanted it, um, some advice from from us because we've seen literally thousands of these cases every year um, but no we never we never uh, give actual uh, requests of the organization whether they pass or fail a student I want, to, I want to ask you back on the issue of, of student funding uh, as as a as a mentor I know there's often been debates basically every year that I've been involved with the program about the issue of difference in cost of living around the world since the students come from all over the world mm -hmm. and the amounts the same regardless of where the students located can you talk a little bit about how those debates occurred in the GSOC community and how you, you all decided to just stick with paying everyone the same around the world yeah well I think I think the debate comes up uh, from for a lot of the things that you allude to Bradley which is that basically I mean uh, 55 dollars goes a lot farther in, in a place like uh, Sri Lanka uh, where we get a lot of participants than it does in a place like say um, New York City New York City <laughs> or, or the UK um, but having said that um, it, we, de we decided ultimately uh, there were indeed a lot of discussions about this on the mailing list but we decided ultimately that there isn't really a good way to to say oh well, we think this particular list of countries really should be paid less or should be paid more because of these reasons. There's really not an unbiased way to make that that call. And no matter how much um, how much weight we gave it or how many how many you know how much uh, talking we did about it, we would never come up with a list that was that was truly free of any kind of any kind of bias. And so, what's better is that we keep the keep it the same number for for every country for every student who participates and then the students are the ones who decide whether or not that's an amount that they can they can participate in the program with and I'm, it's possible that there might be some students who aren't able to to make that decision to participate and I'm, I'm sorry uh, that that's the case um, but I feel like being more equitable was more important to us.
Certainly speaking, as a, somebody who was a grad student and didn't make much more than that as a summer grant, that was uh, 20 years ago. But, uh, but yeah, it, it, I, I think you can live on that much in the summer as a student in the mm -hmm. U.S., most places anyway. And given that the U.S., for example, is one of the most expensive places in the world to live, it seems to me it's, it's enough to handle anywhere in the world. So if people who are in other countries get paid, a little, paid more, uh, that's just a good thing. We're yeah, we do the same thing um, for outreach program for women because we basically take great inspiration from Summer of Code and uh, outreach <laughs> program for women is basically, uh, a, I didn't, in some ways, a descendant of <laughs> of, uh, of of GSAC and um, and, a, and also a partner alongside, which is really cool. Yeah, but, that's great. I want I want more derivatives of Google Summer yeah. of Code, more uh, more partners along the way. Yeah, and so we basically match Google. Each time, and, and I should note that Google is a funder of, <laughs> of the Outreach Program for Women, which is super cool. But so what we do is we match the whatever funds GSOC is paying, and uh, Outreach for Women pays the same thing because why should women make any less? Yeah. Um, and uh, which kind of cracks me up, but uh, is uh, is absolutely right. And it's that same sense of equity. And um, you know, we find that we get interns participating from all over the world, re regardless. And um, you know, I, I think that's a, a pretty interesting thing. So uh, one of the things that most of our listeners know that Karen and I both work at the Software Freedom Conservancy, and we end up handling a lot of our projects uh, participating in GSOC, um, usually between 5 and 15, depending on the year, of Conservancy's member projects are GSA, what, what you would call a GSOC org. Uh, and so we've watched over the years the change in uh, how orgs get paid. Initially, very early in the program, Google paid the mentors uh, $500 each. Now, uh, and for a long time, Google pays an org 500 times the number of students that were mentored. And then each org, uh, in this case Conservancy, makes a decision of what to do with that money, whether to spend it on other activities or make stipends to the mentors just like Google used to. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about why Google made that decision to work with just paying the orgs, even though you're paying the students direct directly? Yeah, I think that um, I can sum it up by saying that each organization knows what's going to be most appropriate for them better than Google does. And so um, instead of uh, Google saying, you're uh, across the board, you're a mentor who participated in GSOC, we'll try and give you money, which by the way also is a very difficult, I mean, even if we had decided that that was the way we wanted to go, that's also a very difficult field. Just paying people directly is just a very hard problem. Um, and so that presents its own set of challenges. Um, but ultimately, uh, when we have Org X, Org Y uh, participating, we don't know whether or not um, it's more appropriate for that org's um, stipends to be put into their general fund for their uh, for their administration, or if they need it for a particular event that they that ha they have coming up that, that will really help foster their community, or if it's more appropriate that they continue to incent their mentors to participate financially. Um, and they're the best arbiters of that decision, and we want we simply want to put more of the money into free and open source software, and and let the organizations decide what's best for them. This is a tough question, but do you know roughly about how? I mean, because offhand, and we're at a conference and we're sitting around, so you don't have like a spreadsheet in front of you or anything <laughs> like that. But how much roughly does Google spend on like on paying orgs in summer? Oh, on paying orgs. Um, well. Uh, uh, I mean, I can tell you generally. So um, we pay $500 per student that an organization mentors, and we had 1,307 students participate in Google Summer of Code last year. Bradley um, and I are looking at each so other. Yeah, so I'm, actually take, I'm taking out a calculator, and now I'm going to have to multiply because I'm very bad at arithmetic. Um, and so, it, yeah. 
So do I, am I actually doing this? Am I doing the calculator? Um, I can say in the meantime, while you're looking at the calculator, that unfortunately the thing I don't have, which actually um, is a, maybe a more interesting number, Karen, is how that money is divided up or, uh, between, say, large organizations that are mentoring, say, 50 students and mm. small number of small organizations that have maybe one or two students. Um, and by the way, we try and emphasize every year having about a third of our organizations be new, small organizations that are only mentoring a student or two, um, which we have heard helps them really establish themselves in the community mm. as a whole. Um, but so it's $685,000 this there year. There you go. That you so that's a lot of money. So that's hey, and Google gives away a lot of money. They also have a license to print money, so it's, 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 it's not <laughs> worth as much to them as it is to us. Those are Bradley's words, not the, Carol's. Indeed, indeed, indeed. I do not, yeah, yeah, the, indeed. Wait, they so are. which is the, do you know offhand, which is the organization that, uh, which is the org that has the most um, Again, not looking at a spreadsheet, but my, my, my guess uh, just off the top of my head would probably be Katie yeah. or possibly <laughs> the Apache Software Foundation. Okay. Um, I'd have to look at the numbers. Um, they kind of, um, they, they move up, both of those organizations move up and down each year, so it's entirely possible that one is higher than and another. I didn't yeah, to and so actually, um, I actually, <laughs> I was being silly, and like, um, no I, I versus Katie this is, this is, I actually have a policy point to make, the decision we make that, that Carol's often not involved in because she's looking at it from the program administrator side and we're here at the orgs. Um, there, there's a decision for orgs uh, that has to be made. Uh, you mentioned Apache Software Foundation, for example, who applies in a whole, as does uh, Python Software Foundation. Mm -hmm. Conservancy made the decision to do that differently years ago. It was a somewhat ad hoc decision at the time, but we always encourage our member projects to apply from Google's point of view as their own org. And even conservancy sometimes applies itself, but only for very conservancy-specific projects, like for our internal work. Like I, I mentored a student for our nonprofit accounting project last year. Uh, in the past, I've mentored for other little technology <laughs> things that uh, uh, conservancy needed for its work. Um, and, and there's trade-offs in that. I mean, what we see from the org side is um, some of our projects that are lesser known have sometimes no hope getting in because they're just not they're not well established and so forth. Whereas when PSF can is applying as PSF, it can use some of its slots for nascent projects that might not rise to the level of something that could get in. On the other hand, I think, uh, and I don't know if I ever said this to Carol before, so I hope it doesn't impact the <laughs> impact our projects, but I think we actually end up getting more students overall by having each project go in in its own merits and, and get for more get, you know, get the number of students it thinks it can handle individually as a project. So I think there's pros and cons to that. I think both strategies work for the orgs that are using the strategies they're using. But for Conservancy, it's worked great to have each of our member projects apply separately. Do you have a preference, by the way, Carol? Um, I don't have a preference, and, but actually when you when you talk about that, um, it occurs to me that uh, depending on how savvy your listeners are about Google Summary of Code, and I and Some of them will I be, hope, actually. I hope, so uh, we have lots of mentors well, who listen and so forth. Well, so. It, some, some of them who might not be, they might look at our list of organizations that participate, and they might, for example, see Python Software Foundation on the list, and they say, oh, they're mentoring uh, whatever the number is, and excuse me, PSF, if I get this wrong, 50 students this year. Um, it, it's not just you know, uh, high-level PSF is mentoring 50 students. It's that they're they're creating an umbrella for many, many different mm -hmm. kinds of projects, and and so um, and so within PSF there are many different kinds of uh, projects that are working in Python that are getting students in Google Summer of Code. So. Um, so just because an Apache Software Foundation or, or a PSF has a large number of students, um, it, it doesn't quite look the same as an organization that has one or two, because um, you can kind of envision them differently. How do um, orgs get more students? 
<laughs> She's not well, going to answer well, that. Well, <laughs> um, I, I can't answer that directly, but I can say that there are, there are many things that go into the decision. Um, the first one is um, ask uh, as ask. Um, so we have, um, as part of our uh, administration of the program, we have each org give us two numbers, which is basically um, a lower level number, which is basically the number of really, really great proposals that they have from students this year. Uh, the number, the, basically the number that they would be they think would be really the um, the lowest number of slots that they could be allocated to to really um, sort of get all of the projects that they want accepted. And then we ask them for sort of a blue sky number, which is a number of the total number that they have available um, of good project proposals and mentors to, to mentor them, um, which might be a little bit higher or might be a lot higher than that lower number. Um, so one is ask, ask for the number that, that you want. Um, and the, the next is, um, if you've participated in Google Summer of Code before, treat your so students super well. Um, because we, we pay attention to what the students say about their mentors and about their organization and their evaluations. And we take that into consideration when we're, uh, when we're looking at applications to participate in the program in the next year, as well as uh, when we're looking at how many slots we're allocating. And then I get a little more general and I say that it's also a numbers game for us, and we have to do a lot of plus one, minus one, plus one, minus one all over the across the board. And there's 190 orgs that participated in 2014, and so sometimes we have to just subtract one here and add one here, and and um, it's a lot of it is is kind of just down to me sitting there uh, with a spreadsheet and kind of trying to make the numbers work as well. So that unfortunately, there's nothing the orgs can do about. Uh, but there are lots of other. Um, slightly more intangible things they can do. So, uh, so, so our <laughs> listeners would be would see me amiss if I didn't ask one hard question. All right. Um, uh, and it, it's it, it, it relates to something you were asked in uh, in your keynote. So if you go back and watch the keynote, uh, Carol was asked a question of this nature that I'm going to reference here. Uh, it, so you do the program in the Northern Hemisphere summer. And it's called we Summer do. of Code. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I've, I've just cried. I'm here at this conference thinking about this because I've just crossed the equator for the first time in my life. I've never been in summer weather in January. It is kind of freaking me out here. In fact, <laughs> as somebody who spent 40 years of his life in the Northern Hemisphere and suddenly is walking around on January 18th sweating all over the place. Um, but but it, it's almost like I, I'm starting to think it's like almost the, the name. Your answer in the, I'll just repeat for those who didn't, uh, didn't see, your answer was, well, we can, only run, we can only run so much and we run the program when we run it and we can't, we have. GCI, which runs uh, runs in the separate season, but we, we don't have the staffing to run even more programs, and we encourage others to exist, like Outreach Program for Women. But what about the name? Your name is Northern Hemisphere Biased, because it's not the summer in those months in the Southern Hemisphere. Mm -hmm. Isn't, shouldn't you change the name? Um, so my answer to your hard question uh, is is multi multifaceted. One is uh, just just with regard only to the name, uh, it was named before I started at Google. <laughs> it was named by people who were not me. And um, I think that it would actually be more detrimental to the program to change the name at this point than to just leave it the way it is and to accept um, the people who ask me that question each year when we come down here to LCA um, or to when we go to Fiesle in Brazil or any of the other uh, really awesome conferences that happen all over the world that are not in the Northern Hemisphere. Um, and um, unfor I, I just I think it would just be harder to change the name than to just accept sort of that um, some people are going to ask questions about it. Um, but the thing that I do want to say about this sort of general idea of running something during the Southern Hemisphere summer is 
I really, really, really want to see a larger ecosystem of GSOC-like projects happening all over the place and in all different kinds of industries and all kinds of different interests. Um, and so I really would in, genuinely, from the bottom of my heart, encourage organizations to start running programs like uh, GSOC and OPW is a great example of a su successful one that has has modeled after GSOC and has done great for the the uh, topic that it was really interested in and has expanded beyond that now. Um, and so I I really uh, hope that uh, maybe there's some Australian or New, New Zealandish or Brazilian companies who want to fund more GSOC like programs in the future. And yeah. I'd love to see that because I'd love to be able to say, well, GSOC doesn't work for you for whatever reason. Um, maybe not not just because you don't live in the Northern Hemisphere. Um, here's all these other different kinds of programs you can look at instead. Yeah, uh, I think that you're right. And I think the, um, the Summer of Code brand is a really strong one it now. Is, and it in is. fact, for uh, Outreach Program for Women, we've tried really hard to not use summer and Mm -hmm. And people still re still refer to the summer round and the winter round, and yeah. I even find myself doing that as well. Yeah. Well, I, I should, we should mention we, we we don't have anybody here to represent it, but the the KDE project has the season of KDE, which I always thought that was kind of like the ha like the good lo good dollar local time that people do on IRC <laughs> because you're all in different time zones um, to say the season. It's a season, and we're going to do a thing. And so so I liked I always liked that they had that name in the KDE project for their independent program that they run, which is similar to average program for a separate program model in GSOC mm -hmm. happening at different times, so forth. Yeah. Well, Carol, I really appreciate you spending the time oh, to wait, talk to us. Oh, wait, don't we have any more hard questions for oh, you? Do, oh, you have more you hard have questions? questions? Go ahead. I know. Uh, ah, I'm trying to think. Because <laughs> I, I felt like, I don't know if this was short or not, but it flew for me. So. Uh, it did. Uh, well, we're, we're uh, what, what, uh, I can't even read the time upside down. So we're like half an hour, something like that. Oh, okay. So, I, okay. so I, anyway, I, I mean, Carol, do you have anything uh, we we right, didn't you, ask you right, about? What should that we you have asked you? What's the hard-hitting question we should have asked you? Yeah, what do you want to promote right now, given That's not the hard-hitting question. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, oh well, uh, something that I do want to talk about, but it's not uh, not not in the hard hitting question uh, arena <laughs> is um, I really want to talk about. Um, so GSOC is coming up soon. It's starting soon. Uh, we're going to be accepting mentoring organization applications starting on February 9th and running until the 20th, and then student applications are starting after that. And because a new round of uh, GSOC is coming up, I really want to encourage more uh, diverse applicants. Um, I'd like to encourage more uh, people from uh, developing nations, from underrepresented nations, more women, uh, more folks with disability, more people from the LGBTQ community, um, and um, you know everybody. I would love to just encourage more people to um, to talk about this program, to get give it more some more word of mouth, and have us get more diverse applicants this year because we we can always be doing better. And now is the time to be talking about it because we haven't gotten our applications yet, so we can still talk about it. And I have a specific piece of advice. I do this every year. Um, it, it hasn't done tons, but I think if everybody did it, it would make a big difference. Um, most people in uh, in our field they went to some undergrad program in computer science, and I and I I also went to a grad program, so I email um, the faculty at the universities and colleges I went to to let them know about the program, remind them about it, uh, and tell them about it. And the additional thing you could do to fit with what Carol just said is you could also write to the diversity 
departments and the people doing promoting diversity on the campuses where you were a student at one time and talk to them about the program and ask them to promote it as well. Uh, a lot of times when a, a, um, alumni ask for things, they're more likely to get responded to than just, like, say, Carol emailing them or something, which she probably doesn't have time to email every university on the planet anyway. Mm -hmm. um, but also, if you're an alumni, you can say, I'm, I'm a mentor in this program, and it's very valuable, and it'll help, help the students, and I want to help the students that I was, uh, that I, of, of whom I once was. But in the interest of acknowledging that we are not a very diverse um, community now, and that we want to be, we have to also acknowledge that the places where we were educated and the places where we were um, when we were younger, when we were students, are not necessarily the best places to attract people who are not like us. True. And that we should affirmatively think of places where there are groups of people that we haven't been uh, actively including and to actually contact you know, those, those universities and those places and encourage students from, from places where that might be a reach for us. Um, it's worth reaching out to the computer science departments in those places. I, I agree completely. The, the, reason, the reason I felt it was connected was because I know certainly that, uh, that my undergrad program, there was a lot of effort put in to increase diversity in its program. So it was, it's, sort of a, it's sort of an allied thing where they know they're not diverse, but they're trying to do it. And so if you give them an easy opportunity uh, to say, hey, this is a thing you can use to increase diversity, and you wanted to do that anyway, there's a certain in there, I think. Yeah. Uh, maybe I'm wrong about that, I guess. Well, you, so you're looking me like I'm an idiot. One more hard-hitting, one <laughs> hard, sort of, and I understand if you can't answer this because uh, you might have to consult with Google Legal. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm really <laughs> curious if any, like, if there have been any really bad experiences that have happened during GSOC, any, like... And I'm asking this because I'm so worried that Outreach Program for Women is going to have, at some point, some bad, you know, like some jerky mentor or something like that. And something weird is going to happen because when you, you know, already uh, Outreach Program for Women, we've had 200, over 200 students come through and I can feel it as it scales. Mm -hmm. And GSOC is huge. Yeah. And you've got agreements and like I know you rely on people being great. And I know generally and by and large and overwhelmingly people are great. And everyone I know who has gone through GSOC has had like an awesome, awesome time. Well, I can actually say a, a couple things about that. One, one thing I can say is that um, every community has has people who end up being, like you said, jerky, um, and <laughs> <laughs> like the food. <laughs> um, and so uh, we've had we've had folks in our community who have been jerky, uh, and uh, and that's that's just something that we've dealt with. And most of the time, um, you know, talking to them privately or explaining to them uh, what what the the issue was um often can can help with that um i but actually the the other thing i was going to say is that um we haven't had so many bad experiences with a capital b as we've had sort of like students like mediocre experiences where we had a student who um, really overpromised and underdelivered, or and then the and then the mentor was in a position of not knowing whether or not they should pass them or fail them at the midterm, for example. Or um, you know, every year I say uh, a few uh, too many too many grandmothers die during GSOC, um, and so every year we have we have um, some some students who just who just end up in situa personal situations where they just can't complete the project, and 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 it's and it's sad, and that's that's like not how we want to do it, and we do everything we can to set up students for success um, and we still can't can't prevent against anything and you're right I mean as a as a quality of the scale of the program uh, you know things are gonna come up but um, more often than not my experience has been that it's just like there's a lot of sort of um, 
in between borderline cases that the mentors and the students end up having to work through and kind of gray areas that nobody quite knows how to handle until they handle it. And I think I think those just keep coming up. Do you ever extend the internships in those situations? Uh, no, we haven't. Uh, it's certainly something that we've talked about, um, but we haven't. Um, unfortunately, that's mostly a function of my administ- my personal administration mm-hmm. of the program. Is that I really only have the bandwidth in my in you know my time at work to be able to administer a certain number of payments to a certain number of students each year at a certain at certain intervals and um, trying to make more piecemeal payments or uh, making payments outside of that structure is just too too logistically complicated for me more than anything else. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And we, we certainly know the issues of logistical complication of payments and so forth because that's a lot of what Conservancy does for our projects as well. So we're, yeah. we're sympathetic to that t- for sure. It's amazing uh, that Google does this program and uh, it you know it's it's such an essential part of free and open source software. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm wrapping up now. Is that okay? Okay. Well, I was <laughs> only going to say I might have an answer uh, for your question that Carol won't give, which is if you <laughs> If you read the archives of the uh, GSOC uh, mentors list uh, from time to time, you'll see uh, the kinds of things Karen was asking about being dealt with. And I think that uh, the administrators program, Carol and, uh, and, and others around Google included, have done an excellent job when those sort of things come up. But uh, there's if some interesting have, reading there. If you have the honor and the privilege of being on the mentors list. True enough. <laughs> oh, I was actually, I, I want to say one more thing about that, which is like, we have really had, uh, honestly, um, honest to goodness, I can say this as Carol Smith, not just as a GSOC program administrator, we have such a thriving, vibrant community of mentors and students all over the world. And we've actually been really fortunate um, that great community management from people uh, before my time, Leslie Hawthorne and, uh, and other folks on the OSPO team, and now trying to um, carry the torch, we've managed to deal with a lot of those problems right when they happened and nip them in the bud so that our community has really stayed really happy and, and thriving. I think that actually uh, all of the all of the communities around the projects that participate in Summer of Code have really benefited from it. For also from the, the attention to mentorship that has was a real um, yeah. focus of the program. So thank you so much for running the program. And of course, for thank taking, you guys for having me. Thanks for thanks taking for your time with yeah. your keynote at this conference. <laughs> it's really course. cool. It's, yeah, it's great being on the show. Thank you. Carol, we have one last thing we wanted to do. Actually, we wanted to give a brief rundown of all the dates and numbers for the program just so when people want to apply, they know exactly what all the details are. So you want to do that real quick? Yeah. So basically, if a student is accepted into the program, we're going to pay them 500 US dollars, and that payment is made on or after May 25th, 2015. And then students who successfully complete their midterm evaluation are going to be paid 2250 US dollars, and that payment is made on or after July 3rd, 2015. And then students who pass their final evaluations are going to be paid 27 $50 US dollars, and that payment is made on or after August 28th, 2015. And the deadline for org applications is? Uh, the deadline for org applications to participate in the program is uh, February 20th, 2015. The deadline for student applications is? Is. She's pulling it up now. She, we do this often on our broadcast. <laughs> Let me the, guess, March 22nd. 20, March 27th. Karen, you're giving bad information 2015. Now. <laughs> so we, we, make sure, we make sure that OPW matches. So. <laughs> so you need to change OPW. So, so you say March 27th for students? Yes, for student, the student application deadline. Student application deadline. So, so check those dates. Go to the GSOC uh, website. Do you want to give the URL? Yeah, the URL is google-melange.com, google-melange.com. 
Breeze and Freedom is produced by Dan Lynch of Pod Factory and can be found at podfactory.org. Thanks to Mike Tarantino for our theme music. This episode of Freeze and Freedom is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 United States license. You can follow Freeze and Freedom, Bradley, and Karen on Identica, and also read Bradley's and Karen's blogs. Links can be found on the Freeze and Freedom website, faith.us. That's faif.us. Look, I mean, we don't have our producer with us, although we're going to try to send him to Your a producer. We have a producer. He I does the editing. We've gotten. Should we sit it. closer? Um, we can. That would actually be not a terrible idea. <laughs> Should we?